We're into law number two tonight, and law number two is we were made to be one. Now, you might think, well, why do we have to go through that? Because we have to keep reminding ourselves that we were purposed to be one. This is possible. Right? If it was impossible, you'd go, oh, how are we ever going to become one? But we were, in fact, designed and made to be one. I don't need to get into anatomy, but I'll go back to the physical representation of a male and a female. They're actually designed to sexually become one. Is that a design or not? Right? Okay, so they were made to become one. And again, what God does is he illustrates, just like the Old Testament is a physical representation of what's coming in the New Testament spiritually, and so God gave us physically an act that portrays what should spiritually take place between a husband and wife. That we should become one in our soul, in our identity, and in our spirit to become one, just as we do physically, all right? So, well, when two people get married, they bring a lot of baggage. How many of you know that? We each bring a lot of baggage into this thing. Half the time, we don't even realize how much baggage we have, and once you're married, you begin to discover how many dirty socks and underwear there is in this package, Uh, but what we have to do in order to understand how we were made to become one how are you going to understand how to come together unless you understand what you're working with? Does that make sense to you? So how am, I, how am I going to become one with my wife if I don't know her opinions and ideas on this or her background on that? There are three very specific areas that will help us identify how to become one, how we were made to become one. One is our personality differences. You both have distinct personalities, and you have to discover the distinction of them if they were to discover how they were made to become one. How many of you ever heard that term, opposites attract? Right? And you're going like, how did we ever attract? How did this happen? And, and, and that's just an old saying. Sometimes that happens, sometimes it doesn't. But if you would believe that God ordained your marriage, how many of you would like to be in a marriage that you believe God ordained? Right? And so God purposed. If you believe that God purposed the two of you to come together, then you can unpack all the baggage and learn of each other's personalities and instead of trying to change each other, learn how they flow together. And secondly, is your history. How many of you know each of you have two distinct and separate histories? Unless you're marrying your brother or sister, and that's just weird. (laughs) That's illegal, too. All right. (laughs) I could go on, but I'm going to stop right there. All right. And then here's another one. Uh, It's hard to get this proven nowadays, but you, in fact, have two different genders. One is male. One is female. This is a huge distinction. And again... Uh, You can figure out physically how to come together, but you've got to understand that there are unique and distinct differences in a male and a female, besides the physical attributes. Would you agree with me on that? All right, so let me give you an illustration of what takes place in a marriage for you to understand how we were made to go together, but yet we are, are different. That is the concept of a key and a lock. A key and a lock. Again, the allusion to, the illustration of, male and female. Right? You go to the hardware store, and uh, you can look for something, and you say, I need the male part of this, and I need the female part of that. All right? We get anatomy, don't we? It's pretty simple. Well, in a key, right, there is the male and female aspect And what I was always fascinated with is finding out how to cut keys. I didn't realize the unique and distinct way keys are cut. There's little teeth on keys. How many of you have seen that? And and there's different teeth on each different key because a key is cut to the specific tumblers of a lock. Amen? So these keys are cut to unlock a certain lock, a key that is made 
for a certain lock. That means it was made for each other. But they look different, don't they? But they are keyed together. This is what's happening in a marriage. You're getting keyed. You're getting cut to shape. So, so there is a way in which a certain notch is going to move a tumbler a certain way, and then the next tumbler a certain way, and then the next tumbler at a different height. And if my key can fit into a lock, but if it's not keyed to the correct tumblers, it's not going to unlock the heart of that lock. It has to be keyed together. Although they are different, they become one in function and purpose. Does that make sense to you? Are you getting this? And so all your life, this takes a while, folks, okay? If you think you're going to get through with this in a year of marriage, <laughs> good luck. It takes a lifetime of learning how to be keyed and how to, to click each other's tumblers, if you will. And you have to stay with it and learn how to grow together. And so that's what I want to help you with tonight is learn how to be keyed so you would believe that the, we were made to be one. We were purposed to function as one. So let's start with the first category, personality. This is not an easy thing. In the beginning, God made Adam and Eve. Right? He made Adam and Eve, and, and what he, he did purposefully is that he, he uh, put man together in the dust of the earth, and then God specifically told Adam to name all the animals. God had a thought in mind here. So Adam is created by God. He's looking around. He sees this beautiful garden. He sees the animal. And God says, I want you to participate with me. I'm giving you the right to name these animals. Now, that's pretty cool. How many of you would have a baby and say, you could talk to the nurse and say, you know what, I, I, go ahead, name my kid, whatever you want, just name them, I don't care. That's a high priority, wouldn't you say? Because naming something is fathering and ownership. And so God wanted Adam to understand, you have ownership over all the works that I have performed. Psalm 8, who is the son of man that thou hast given him authority over all the things that God has made, right? So he makes everything, and then there's an observation that Adam has after he names all the animals. Does anybody remember the observation that Adam had? What did he come up with? They all have mates. There's two of them, and there's different things that they're doing with each other. I don't have a mate. I'm here alone. And so what God created in Adam is the conscious knowledge that he was lacking. He was lacking. It's not good that man should live alone. He needed to come to the realization that he needed a partner. Now, God could have immediately made man and woman. But God wanted man to appreciate the fact that God made someone for him. And that she was made for them to become one. And so he put Adam into a deep sleep and pulled Eve out of his rib. Uh, how many of you know that rib bones regenerate? Isn't it interesting that why God caused it out of the rib? And he made a woman. And then, now here we go. God brought Eve to Adam. His conclusion is, she is a gift from God. And so there's an appreciation there now that she was his helpmate. And we're going to get into that in the weeks to come. That is not a lesser position. In fact, it's a position of all that you lack, she will be. Amen? Amen? See, so she was made for him. So there were things he could do and he was supposed to do, but there were things he could not do and he needed her to do. That's where someone is made for each other. And this is what we have to discover with each other. Our personalities were attracted to each other, but there are parts of our personalities that irritate the heck out of each other, right? Until we discover the value of those differences. We are too often trying to change each other's personalities. And you should not do that, but learn how to develop each other's personalities 
so that you find the strengths in your personalities. If one of you is a morning person and the other person's a night person and you're trying to relate to them in the morning and it's not working, right? Thank God that they're alert at night because you're already asleep by eight. So there's a balance in all of this. There's something fruitful that we can find if we stop trying to change each other and begin trying to honor each other as a gift from God. I like this statement. We need to accept each other as valuable. One of the worst things you can do is continually just harp on each other's negative aspects. Half the time, we already understand our negative aspects. And you reminding us of our negative aspects just makes us a little grumpier. What we've got to do is begin to change the way we think of each other and accept each other. How many of you know that when you got saved, God waited for you to get better before he saved you? He didn't? (laughs) I like that. No way, Yvonne. His love is unconditional. His grace is unconditional. He saves us in the mess that we are. And then out of love, he begins to shape us into his righteousness. Right? We're immediately made righteous as his child. And then it walks out and keys in us the image of Christ. And so it is in our marriage relationship. How am I supposed to change my wife to be better? I can't even take care of myself. And there's a lot that I need to discover in her. And we need each other. And so the the reflection of a husband and wife is the reflection of Christ in the church. And so we have to accept each other. Adam had to accept Eve. Could you imagine God brought Eve and he goes, "Eh, I was expecting a blonde. (laughs) He, He wouldn't reject God's gift to him. God made this woman perfect to fit. They figured that out too. But along the way, they they realized what God was doing. Here's an interesting statement. Love is taking off all that you are, all that you have, all that you have been, and giving all that's left to someone who sees it as beautiful. I wrote one good thing in my life. That's it. Because I was in love But the concept behind this is this. You know, I've known a lot of people in different positions and in high authority. I've met presidents of of General Motors and and high people in places and all that and had them in church and everything. And uh, I I remember Vic Walkenhorst. He he was this guy at church where his wife was more the vocal one and got totally involved in all the ministry. And Vic would just set up chairs and be a nice guy and shake hands and and just seemed to be like a shy guy and put things always there for you and all this. And then I remember one day I found out that he was the head of archi- uh, G- General Motors architect firm. And it was like, Vic Walkenhorse? He's like a guy that sets up chairs. But when you were in his position at his place, he was the man. And he ordered thousands of people to do what he told them to do and so forth. But what I saw is, you know what, we know each other. But at church, in his marriage, he's Vic, right? right? And so, so uh, a husband and a wife know the, the, everything about each other. Everything about each other. The good, the bad, and the ugly. So when you take off who you are, so you might dress great, you might have the money, you might have the influence, you might have everything, but your spouse knows really who you are. Take off all the the pomp and circumstance, take off all the makeup, take everything off, and all that you have, all that you are, and no matter what you've done and where you've been, and you remove all of that, and you stand, if you will, in a sense, naked before each other, as to really who you are. And that other person sees you for all the good, the bad, and the ugly, and they still see you as beautiful. That's awesome. That's love. It covers everything. And so, yeah, we have fights. Yeah, we have arguments. Yeah, we have shortcomings. Yeah, we fail. But in the end, we have each other, and we know God put us together, and God, in fact, is sustaining us. And so our personalities need to be shaped They need to be brought together. So we need to honor the person. Love covers. How many of you know that immediately God 
told Adam not to eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. He must have told Eve that. Eve, stay away from this thing. And then the serpent comes, and where does the serpent go to? Eve. And says, did God say? Oh, well, yeah, you know, we're not even supposed to touch it. Now, God didn't tell Adam not to touch it. I'm thinking Adam told Eve, don't even touch it. And so the serpent goes after her, and it says, according to Scripture, that she was deceived. But the Scripture holds Adam responsible for the fall. And so often I've read that Scripture, and I'm wondering, where was Adam? Eve's being deceived right there. He's supposed to keep and guard the garden. That was his instruction by God, to cultivate and guard the garden. So here the serpent's talking to Eve. Where's Adam? And it says she tasted the fruit and turned and gave it to Adam. He was right there! So we can blame Eve, but you can't. The Bible doesn't. She was deceived And the the man, the head, he was supposed to have guarded her and taken care of her, but he didn't. And then when God questioned them, where were you? They were hiding. We hide, and we hide in our marriages. We hide parts of our personalities. We hide who we truly are. And if you can't stand naked in your personality as to who you are, if you're hiding things from your mate, how are they supposed to love you fully if you've hidden parts of your heart away from them? So we have to expose ourselves to each other. You have to get into deep communication. We'll get into that later. But when the sin came, they hid. God said, where are you? They came forth. And God said, what happened? And Adam said, that woman you gave me. Sounds like a man, doesn't it? Blames her, ultimately blaming God. This beautiful gift you gave me, it's your fault. I was fine with the pigs and the cows. This got me in trouble. And then Eve says, wait, it was that serpent. But what did God do for them? He covered them. He covered them. See, they made a covering themselves because all of a sudden they became aware of their nakedness. And so often in Scripture, sin is referred to as being naked before God. They were exposed. The glory of God was busted off of them and exposed in their self-righteousness, in their self-identity before God. So they tried to cover up shame. And God said, you can't cover that. I see all of it, but I can cover you. And see, so Peter writes about this, and Peter says, love covers a multitude of sins. See, as a husband and wife, our personalities may be different, but we need to cover for each other. I'm not saying lie for each other, but how many of you know there are, there are things we're each a little embarrassed about, right? Maybe there's something that in your looks or your appearance you're embarrassed about, uh, and, and your mate knows that, so your mate covers for you, right? I don't know. Uh, I'll, uh, let's see, um, maybe you wear a toupee, right? And it's real windy out and that thing's going to be going flap, 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 flap. So your wife, your wife says, it's windy out. I'll pull the car up to the door so you can get out. Now that's covering for you, right? I, I don't know where it came from, Ivana. It just was there. Do you know what I'm talking about? And, and I'm talking about small things. How many of you know marriage and relationship is basically a bunch of small things put together? It's life together, right? And we cover for each other. So each of you has unique personalities. So you have to discover each other's unique personality. And try not to change it, but find out the value in it. See, my wife and I is, is I'm Mr. Positive, and, and she's like, this will never work. She's a realist. She sees it for what it is, and this is not going to happen. It's not going to this. And I'm like, yeah, sure it will. Something will happen. I know we can make it happen. And I need her to balance me out because I've, I, I would have fallen off the cliff so many times. And she's rescued me from that. So I understand that part of her personality. Now I count on it when I have to make decisions and certain things I have to time out. I ask her. She does numbers and math. I don't. 
Do you see what I'm saying? There are parts of her that it would drive me crazy when we were first married. It was like, come on, we're taking an adventure with me. And then I realized, no, we shouldn't take an adventure. It's midnight and you got to go to work tomorrow at 6 a.m. This is not the time for an adventure. Oh, I forgot. You're right. So you learn the value of each other's personalities. So personality, uh, it, it can create a lot of conflict between us. But when you begin to cut the key to, to how to pressure and release the proper relationship of our personalities, you begin to favor them. There were things, uh, we've been married, this, we're entering our 39th year of marriage, and there, were, there, were, there have been things I remember early on that would just frustrate with her, me with her, and her with me, and now it's like funny. It's cute. Doesn't irritate me like it did back then, because I know the value of her love and her personality. So this is what we're trying to learn. Now, uh, sometimes what I do when I have this class is, is the, the, the key that we're talking about is the combined dynamic of your personalities creates a corporate identity. How many of you know what a logo is? Right? Cadillac has a logo. I used to make them at GM. I used to make Cadillac logos. Those were the old crests of the monarch of a Cadillac. And so it had little ducks. Why in the world there were ducks on this Cadillac crest? Did any of you know that there are ducks on a Cadillac car? Yeah, there's little ducks and little crowns and emblems. And it's like it represented the family tree, the family crest. And old school's family crests versus t- today it's logos. And a logo represents a corporate identity. Your two personalities create a corporate identity. People identify your marriage, your family by its corporate identity. How many of you know that your house has a certain odor? Have you ever noticed that? And I'm not talking about your cats. How many of you remember that? I, I, I used to live amongst, I, I can't escape Italians. I used to live among a, 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 whole, a whole community of Italians. And I remember going to their house, and it always smelled like spaghetti. It was like, oh, wow. I like the smell of their house. But have you ever noticed that, that you have an odor? <laughs> you may not because you're in that environment, but, but you have an identity. And so your house has an identity. There's a personality combination that's absolutely unique, like a thumbprint, and it's something to be discovered. Remember, the two shall become one. Your goal is to become one personality uniquely made by the two personalities. Okay? And so you function personally into a new corporate identity, and you have to find it. You have a scent, you have a design, you have an attitude, uh, therefore a personality. What have two become one? How have you become one in your personality? People see you as a couple. That's why it's so hard when you lose a mate. So many times when someone loses a husband or a wife at a church, they're already discarded. They feel that. They feel it. They're the odd person. They can't find their way in. Or if they've been through a divorce. So often it's so hard because their identity has shifted on them. They didn't want it to, but it did. And people even respond to you differently. Am am I right? Are there folks who have been divorced and and married? Am I right on with that? Okay. Because I see it all the time and I understand it. And so we've got to remember that they, they didn't want the divorce or they didn't want their, per, their mate to die. Of course not. And once it did, uh, all of a sudden, their corporate identity is shifted and they don't know what to do with it and we don't know what to do with it. But you've got to help them through it. Amen? So that's my point about a corporate identity. So we have to learn how to develop these two personalities into one personality. You may not have thought of it that way. But as a husband and wife, you're you're to develop a personality blended together. Now let's take a look at our histories. How many of you know that we have two different family trees? Right? All right, so how many of you grew up in a divorced home? Raise your hand. Okay. Uh, How many of you uh, grew up in a home that was always troubled with finance? Okay. 
How many of you grew up in a home that had a lot of money? Okay. And then uh, how many of you, you don't have to raise your hand for this, but how many of you growing up went through a trauma? You experienced a trauma as a child. Okay. All right. Now, what if someone who grew up in a divorced home gets together with someone who grew up in a home that was like uh, the model uh, middle-class American home? Right? How does that impact the two histories? It, It has an impact, doesn't it? on your family traditions. Now, how about your history emotionally? You, one of you might have been abused, sexually abused. Uh, uh, one of you might have been verbally abused, and the, and the other was never had that experience, and they come from a, a boisterous family, and they come together. Is their histories going to come into conflict sometimes? Absolutely. And it's by nobody's fault. It's just that you have two histories here. Okay? I came from an English family, and so the English are, are not, uh, they're soft-spoken and uh, uh, I, uh, in general. These are general, generalities. But from my English upbringing, you know, we, we would say, hello, how are you, right? No, <laughs> maybe shake a hand. Uh, we didn't hug much. Uh, and then I married an Italian. The first time I came to her house, I thought it was World War III, and she said, no, they're just playing bocce ball. It's okay. This is how they talk. <laughs> Yelling at each other. But that's, that's just, that's it. And so I had to learn how to figure those two histories out. So we have two histories, two different family trees in our history. We can't take for granted that we've had the same experiences. Therefore, we may not have the same expectations. All right? So, uh, if we have two different histories, what does that mean? Let's take, for example, uh, how do we celebrate birthdays? Right? Someone's like, birthday? Uh, It's your birthday? Well, I got you a card. But they came up, brought up every birthday. They had a party. They had a cake. They had all the family over. It's my birthday. And it lasts a week. The other person's like, what are you talking about? I never had anything on my birthday. See, our lives are made up of the simplest things, but they go back to, again, the separateness that we're entering into. Now, how do you bring these two histories together? Because this can cause a lot of conflict. Um, Family traditions. You've got to negotiate them. Now, I also put a little marker in here that ethnic heritage is no excuse for the behavior of a believer. I just did. So (laughs) here's the point. There are some people who say, now let's go through all the stereotypes, not all of them, but let's go through some stereotypes, right? So the Scottish are known for being really cheap penny pinchers, traditionally, right? And, And so someone might be that way and say, well, that's just the way I am. Or someone might, I, I referenced Italians who, who are loud and who, not all of them, but these are generalities and, and loud and this and that, and, and, and it's bothersome to their mate, and, but they go, well, that's who I am, just get used to it, right? And, and we're, we're saying that's who we are. But if it is not Christ-like, you can't use that as... <laughs> I'll, I'll back up for you. You missed the amen. All right, let me talk to you for a minute. <laughs> if your behavior, best based on your ethnicity or history, is not Christ-like, it's not an excuse for bad behavior. Right? Because we're supposed to have and develop a new family tree. If you're married in Christ, there's a new tree that you're to draw from. Not just your past. I'm not telling you to get rid of your past. But I'm telling you, your past must be conformed to the cross. Okay? Let me give you an example of history here. I tell a lot of stories about my wife and I because it helps illustrate it. Uh, I, I grew up in a home where 
on Christmas, Christmas. You'll find this on holidays, different histories, different traditions, different ideas of how things should go. Hey, it even goes into the function of what a man should do at a home and a woman should do, right? So my wife, she grew up, her dad fixed all the cars. She had an expectation that I was going to fix cars. I ruined three cars by not putting oil in it, so that tells you where I'm at. Yeah, they do. I could design the logo, but I can't take care of a car. She had that expectation, right? I had certain expectations based on how I grew up. See, I grew up where dessert, you're not done with a meal till you have dessert. And it could be any array of dessert, chocolate cake, it could be pudding, it could be this or that, because we had, we had dessert at our house. We featured dessert at our house. My wife never had dessert. That was like an extravagant thing. They never had dessert. And so I had an expectation, where's dessert? What do you mean? <laughs> this blew my mind. <laughs> but anyways, so again, these are small things, but these are the things you have to adjust. And so in our history, I grew up, we always had a Christmas tree. We went out, we, we cut, bought a Christmas tree, and you brought it into the house, and you, you set it up, and, and it smelled in the house. It was glorious, and it was good. You put the lights on. My parents would let me and my brother and sister go and decorate the tree, and we put the lights on. You put the bulbs on. You put all the ornaments on, and then it came time for tinsel, tinsel. And we each got our own pack of tinsel, and you would, whew, and it would just, boom, land on the tree. And we would just pack this tree with tinsel. So I married my wife, and it was Christmas. And of course, I understand my history. We're going to go out and get a tree. And she said, I'm allergic to trees. <laughs> what? <laughs> it's not Christmas. How could you be allergic to Christmas trees? So I prayed to, to, to cast out, the, but it, did, it didn't work. You know, and, and she, she said, all right, let's get a Christmas tree. And she suffered through it, and her nose was, and all this kind of stuff. We tried it so for a while. So then it came time to decorating, and so I'm getting the bulbs on. I'm putting them on. She's going, what are you doing? I'm putting the bulbs on. She said, but they're not spaced correctly. I didn't know there was correct spacing on a Christmas tree. Yes, there is, and my wife will find it. She put the lights on, and she engineered this thing. It's beautiful, and I was like, whatever, I can live with that. It's time for tinsel. She said, you are never putting tinsel on my tree. She never said it like that. Now, don't go to my wife and tell her all these stories. <laughs> but here's the reason why. My wife grew up in a house where they didn't have real trees, they in fact had, I don't know if you remember ever seeing them, metal trees that were all aluminum. And they had a little wheel that you plugged in and it had red, green, orange, and blue. And this thing would go and change the color. She said, I hated it all my life. This aluminum tree. So you're not putting aluminum on our Christmas tree. Now this took a lot of change for me and for her. But it was funny because it just illustrates different histories. Now take it deeper. That's surface stuff. Take it deeper to the emotional wounds. Take it deeper to the, to the bedrock of, of divorce and not divorce or someone who died or, or tragedy uh, in the family or or some kind of abuse within the family structure. And that comes out. You know, you bring a kid, now you're pregnant, going to have a kid, and I don't know what they, you have to hear each other's history. And then, again, it's, you don't need to fight over whose history is going to win, whose tradition is going to win over the other person's tradition. And so what you have to begin discovering is, we've got to bring it all to the cross where there's a new tradition which is built on love, joy, peace, goodness, gentleness, right? Mercy, faithfulness, self-control. The very fruit of God's nature has got to speak into your own history. And you get to make new traditions and new histories. 
So you've got to be careful to watch. How are we made so that we come together? What you're going to find out is when you learn each other's history, you will in fact learn how to bring those keys together to unlock each other. And you're going to find that God put you together because your unique histories can actually bless each other. And this is the thing. Instead of concentrating on, on the difficulties and differences breaking your marriage, find out how they, in fact, can fit together. And you can appreciate them. Now, this takes hard work. But if anyone's in Christ, they're a new creation. Amen? And so it's important to develop a new family history to compete. Don't compete with your personal histories, but go to the cross. Let's go look at the third aspect now, and that's your gender differences, your gender identities. And this is the third aspect. And again, uh, please understand why I continually reference the physical aspect, because God designed it that way to continually remind a husband and a wife you are to become one, and you were made to become one. Does that make sense to you? All right, so let's take a look at the gender differences. And I could get fired if I worked at a college right now by saying this, but men and women are different. All right, that is a radical concept. In fact, I think it was in 2010 uh, that... Uh, a professor at Harvard made that statement and he was immediately fired. Because you know what we're in against with these gender issues and this and that, that it's a choice and you can decide what sex you want to be as a person and as a child. I'm leaving all of that aside and I'm staying strictly biblical and I want you to understand men and women are different and they were created to be different. In fact, let me tell you a story it says this in Genesis 1.27 and verse 31. God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. God saw everything that he had made, and indeed it was what? Very good. Very good. You see, when God made man, he said, it is not good. Every day when he created something, day one, it's good. Day two, good. Day three, good. Day four, good. Day five, good. Day six, animals, good. Adam, I ain't done yet. It's not good. So then he worked that whole thing out where he brought the woman to man. See, he didn't do that with any other part of creation. He took the time because Adam needed to understand he needed Eve to be the image of God. Needed Adam and Eve. Needed, he created both of them in the image of God. He needed them paired together to be the image of God. And once he brought Eve to Adam, he said, now it is what? Very good. Very good. He didn't say that about any other part of creation. All of creation was good. But this thing, this Adam and Eve thing, this is very good. Because that is the design that one day was going to illustrate Christ and the church. The spirit and the body coming together as one. Now, so I'm going to share some things with you and help you understand a few things. Um, this is generally speaking. When I say generally, it doesn't mean across the board. If that's, this doesn't fit you, that is not a problem. It doesn't mean anything against you. These are just generalities. Generally speaking, okay, men and women think differently. What do I mean by that? We process our thinking. Can we not come to the same conclusion? Of course we can. I'm just saying, in general, the process is different because of our gender identity because of the way we are and the way we perceive the world. I'll help you with that in a minute. And then men and women hear differently. Have you ever noticed that? Right? Did you hear what that guy said? No. <laughs> he said this. No, he didn't. It's not what he said. All right, and then last of all, men and women speak differently. 
We're going to get into this later. They do. That's true. Uh, so um, let me help you understand something. We are made distinctly different, right? Now, physically, does, does everybody understand that? Right? I'm not showing pictures. Okay? Well, I am, actually. Look, at if we were identical and the same, this is how we would look. We would be the same. If we were opposites, this is what it would work. We are not opposites, and we are not the same. We are complements. Again, illustrated physically, we are complements. We were made to fit together. You've got to keep remembering that. That's the second law of covenant. When you're frustrated with each other, you go, okay, we were made to become one. We were made to become one. All right? So, let me help walk through our differences with you. Um, here's a picture of a guy that is the uniqueness of maleness in generality. What do you see that's unique about this guy? I don't know if you can make it out. Big hands. Big hands. What do you think that means? Big hands. Work? Strength? Okay. Physically oriented, right? What else do you notice? I don't know if you can see it back there. One eye. One eye. So men have this amazing ability to be singly focused. They do one thing at a time, right? Men have this ability. They're, they're, some put it uh, like being in uh, submarine compartments. They enter into one compartment, shut the door, they're there. Then they go into another compartment, shut the door, right? How many of you have tried to talk to a guy while he's watching TV? <laughs> Forget about it. He can't do both. He can't do both. My wife will sit down and want to start talking, and I'm like, uh, oh, uh, oh. When I go visit people, sometimes I'll bring them communion, sometimes I'm there to pray with them, and a lot of times it's an older lady there by herself, she has the TV on, just to have some atmosphere and noise in the house and all this, and I'll come sit and talk with her, and she's used to having the TV on, and I'm like, oh, oh. I can't do this. The TV's on. I keep looking at the moving pictures and wanting to talk to her. I ask, could you turn the TV off? I have a hard time. We have, a, have an ability to stay focused. But you also notice that they're physical in nature. What did God make Adam out of? The dirt, the earth, the ground. Men are physically oriented. They're oriented to the physical realm. All right? So they are typically physically oriented all right what do little boys play together when they get together army the guy said it right away Ar army king of the hill cowboys right what else trucks all these things are physically oriented i i watch my grandsons my my granddaughters they they what do, what do girls do when they play together Dolls, teeth, right? And the boys automatically, they're, they're throwing and hitting and, and doing something. So we're very physically oriented. So let's talk about the woman. What do you notice about her? Eyes. There's a lot of eyes there. Big ears. Big mouth. I'm just pointing the picture Hands supine, open, all right? Because basically women are amazing administrators. Women are not singly focused, they're multi-focused. And God made them uniquely so that they're paying attention to what's going on here. They know what's going on there. They remember what happened yesterday. They can tell you what's going to go on tomorrow and the, this and that. And the guy's going like, what? I'm not done with lunch. And, and you ladies are awesome and amazing. You're aware of everything. How many of you uh, know what's called female intuition? What, what is that? You just know. Why? Because you have such an awareness. 
See, now think of this. God in his wisdom, he made us so uniquely different where a man is going to do something till he gets it done, till he achieves what needs to be done. But while he's doing that, he could be attacked, he could be missing so many other things, but his helpmate, the woman, is aware of what's going on all around while all this stuff, what a team! So, and secondly, she is relationally oriented. She, she is communicating. She is nurturing. She is listening, right? We said, what do little girls do? They're playing with dolls. And what are dolls doing? They're talking. They're communicating. They're having tea party. I had three girls before I had a boy. Every day I would come home and they wanted me to play Barbie. Killer, man. So we'd go and I'd play Barbie and I'd have my Barbie. Could I be Ken? No. You're, you're this one. Okay. And so then I'd talk and I'd, and then I wanted to talk. Hi, how are you today, Barbie? Dad, you don't talk. <laughs> Why am I here? <laughs> just play. It's, they'd have the script. They'd say what I'm saying. And I was just, you know, and eventually I would always just. <clears throat> then the little guy came along and I was able to throw things at him and run. But. <laughs> We're different, and, and it's, it's an amazing design. But how many of you get in fights over this, get in trouble with it? I appreciate the shape. I appreciate the beauty. But there are such differences that until we get to understand the value, we're going to be working against each other. I put it this way. How many of you can get an AM signal on an FM radio? Why not? How? Different bands, different frequencies. AM radio stands for amplitude modulation. FM stands for frequency modulation. Amplitude can go much farther. No, wait, FM goes farther. But uh, AM can be louder and so forth. And it's, it's, it's what? Yeah, it can be blocked. It's, it's very, yeah, where the FM has stereo quality, much more refined. Where was Eve taken? Where was she, what was she created out of? Adam. Man is connected to the physical, to the earth. Woman is connected to people, connected to relational. She came out of Adam. She came out of mankind. Do you understand what I'm saying? So men are physically oriented and related to the work where women are relationally oriented. This is generality. It may not play out for you that way, but just in general. And so the fine-tuning of an FM station, she is so tuned in to what's going on. She's stereo. AM guy, he's single. He's, he's just omni. He's just not stereo. The quality is just not there. But you can hear a ball game or the news. And so AM stands for all male. FM stands for female. All right? So this is a word to the wise. Men... When you want to speak to your wife, you have to convert your frequency to FM instead of speaking male. How many times have you spoken male to her and you've hurt her feelings? She's upset, your tone, your attitude. What's the problem, right? You're just speaking male. Well, she doesn't receive male. She receives female. So you have to adjust. Women, same thing. You're female. You, you need to adjust to male. So how many of you have ever been to a, get, a gathering, a get-together, and what immediately happens when, when husband and wife and a, and a mixed group of people come together, what immediately happens? Whew. Why do you think we separate? We're on two different frequencies. And then the, you haven't been together in a week, but the females, they get together, and the women already start talking about the conversation they had last week and two months ago, and they're all dead on it. They're like, yeah. Oh, remember that guy I couldn't remember two weeks ago? His name's Bob. Oh, yeah, I remember Bob. He had a cousin named Tony. Oh, Tony, yeah, of course I know Tony. Where the guys, their conversation's like this. Hey, what about them tigers? Oh, they're not that good. They stink, don't they? Yeah, I don't think they're going to play very good. What about the trade? This, this, uh, they'll go, they'll crescendo to a point, and then they're done. That topic's done. It's off the table. They're finished. They've solved that problem. They're not going to go back, Right? Then they get together with their wife, and she'll go, you remember Tony and Bob? We talked about Tony and Bob. Who's Tony and Bob? <laughs> They're your cousins. <laughs> oh. It's just different frequencies. 
So you got to say that. So, so ladies, if I could help you understand something. Men are headlines. They're not fine print. Did you know newspapers are arranged for the, to catch people a certain way? Headlines are for the men, right? Men don't read comics that are longer than, they have big bubbles with words. They're not going to read it. They're going to look at the pictures. But headlines, Titanic sinks, 1,500 die. That's what a guy typically go, hey, did you hear the Titanic sank? Yeah, 1,500 people die. <gasps> really? And your wife will go, where did it crash? Where was the iceberg? I don't know. What ocean was it in? I don't know. How cold was the water? I have no clue. How many women and children? Was it all men? I don't know. 1,500 people died. That's enough. <laughs> because she wants to know the details. I don't know how many phone calls I get off with my kids. Hi, how are you? They're not coming tonight. Why not? I forgot to ask. I don't know. They just can't make it. Well, is one of the kids sick? I don't know. Well, what's the problem? I have no idea. They just said they can't make it. I didn't want to pry. Actually, I just didn't care. <laughs> Got a night off. <laughs> am, I, am I right? And this drives us crazy, but if you can harness this and use it with each other and develop it, imagine how powerful this thing can be. So, so I bring my wife to situations and to certain things because she's got discernment. I'll walk away and go, what do you think? And she'll go, I, I wouldn't trust him. Right. Oh, all right. It sounded like a good deal. Mm-mm, I'm not feeling it. It's like she knows what I'm, she's talking about. I'll follow her. She'll know. And so we, we work these things out, and when you trust it. So let's go through how uh, we work with each other so that we key this so that the key fits in the lock and unlocks it. Let's, these are generalities. Again, don't get upset if they don't fit. But what defines a woman? The answer is relation, relating. Typically, again, women relate to others. What do women value? Nurturing. Isn't it good that God made women having babies? Could you imagine the men having babies? This would not work. Women nurture. They're relatable. What are the three C's of women? Caring, communicating, and confidences. Women want relationship, men. They want relationship. They don't want you to solve their problems. They want you to be in the problem with them. They want you to care about that problem. They want to communicate to you what the problem is. And they want to confide in you how they feel about that problem. Let them do that. Women are satisfied by sharing their feelings. Uh, this is just a personal note. My, my wife's sister passed away last year. She was her confidant. I know I don't fit that. My wife can tell me anything. But my wife needed that someone to just call 24-7, whatever, immediately go there, and they're on the same page. Do you ladies agree with that? You understand? Right? You need that. Sometimes your husband isn't, can't give that to you. They try, but you still... And guys, you don't need to get jealous about that. This is what women need, right? Just like you guys need something physical to do so you hang with the guys. Because, right? All right. The worst thing a man can do is what? Not listen. Good one, Jerry. You read it fast. You got a point on that. Why? What does not listening to your wife say to her? I don't care. And what is supreme for her? Caring. Caring. It matters. Now, again, you say, I'm not married. Hey, do you work with a woman? It, it, this is for all situations. If you work with a man, work with a woman, this stuff translates, okay? So the worst thing you can do is not listen. Oh, sorry, what, were you talking to me? Uh, Gilligan just uh, got shipwrecked. What? And she's going to think, oh, really? This is, this is how deep our conversation goes. You just repeated the last three words. I know your trick now. We've been married over 20 years. All right? So women relate, they nurture, they care, they communicate, they confide, and they want to share their feelings. And if you're not listening, here's another way of not listening. You know what you need to do? 
She tells you something, she shares her heart, and she's trying to talk to you, and you go, oh, I know how to fix that. I'm not asking you to fix it. You're shutting me down. And so we've, this should help. Learn how to key. Now, for men, how, what defines men? The ability to achieve. You know why some guys stay at work late? They get all the attaboys at work. You're doing a great job. Hey, nice job on that one. Oh, good work, good work. They come home. You didn't do this. You didn't do that. How come the trash is here? How come this is like that? You know what? I got to go back to work. What do men value? Praise. That makes sense. If men are trying to achieve something, and once they achieve it, what they want is recognition for their achievement. A woman wants to feel appreciated and share her thoughts. A man wants to be celebrated. So if you criticize him, you're killing him. Three C's with men. They want respect. I can hear the women right now. They need to earn it. Uh, They resist advice. And they love rewards. They're, They're satisfied when they accomplish a goal. Have you ever realized why men love sports? What's happening in sports? There's a game for a set amount of time. They play the game. Somebody wins. We celebrate. Praise. Yay! They won! That's the male mind right there. Okay? Five, the worst thing a woman can do, make him feel useless. So let let me give you an illustration of this. This is typical. This happens all the time. So you decide you're going to paint your room. Painting your family room. Okay? You and your wife, you're going to paint your family room. Yeah, this this is rough right off the start. So the guy goes, okay, we're going to paint the room. And so uh, uh, what color do you want to paint it? <laughs> Let's go to the store and figure that one out. Okay. She's got to feel what color feels right. He's like, it's blue, it's blue. I don't care, it's blue. No, it's not the right blue. Depends. So they pick out the color. He goes home. He starts rolling on the paint. He's painting, right? Now, the woman walks in the room. She cares, she sees and observes the whole room, not just the four inches he's working on. She wants to nurture and help. And so she walks in the room and says, oh, you missed a spot right there. What's the male response to this help and this caring? I know. And he doesn't know. But he feels that his ability has been challenged. Yet she is just trying to say, I'm helping. More fights, right? Or she goes out and he decides to do probably one of the most magnanimous things you could ever consider doing. He decides to empty the dishwasher for her. But it's like, where in the world did you ever get the idea that that was my job? You're doing it for me? You eat off these dishes too. But he's going to do that. So all I'm doing is telling my own life story. So he puts the dishes away. And she comes home. Now what's the first thing the guy wants? Praise. Oh, you wouldn't believe what I did. I spent five minutes putting the dishes away. So he's got to somehow let her know the dishwasher's empty. What? Well, uh, uh, while you were gone, I put the dishes away. Oh, thank you? So then she looks and she goes, and she notices that all the dishes are in the wrong place. Right? And so what does she say? They're all in the wrong place. And his response? Fine, I'll never do that again. Because in his mind, he failed. And if a guy fails, he's done. He does not want to stay in a place where he feels like a failure. Okay, ladies, you get this? 
Guys, at the same time, she's just trying to help you understand, after living in this house 25 years, shouldn't you know where the dishes go? I mean, that's a practical, you know, assumption. But so often with these differences, we get ourselves in trouble. So we have to talk through them. We have to work through them. And I'm sorry I'm going long tonight, but these are big issues. <laughs> All right? So what we have to learn through these three things, though we have different personalities, though we have different histories, and though we have different genders and sexual identity, we were made to become one. Those differences, actually, if you would work on them, if you would develop them, and if you would discuss them, you have to discuss them. Because if you don't discuss them, you'll offend each other. You have to remember. You have to remember. My wife, I'll end it with this story. My wife one time was, was very upset with the situation. And she was telling me about it, and, and I stopped everything I was doing. Huh? I learned. Stopped everything I was doing. Sat down and listened. I reflected, oh, mm. and how did that make you feel? Oh, I was doing good. And she's telling me, and she's crying, she's upset. Okay. She said, I'm just going to lay down. Okay. So she went and laid down in the other room. I went into the kitchen, and I was emptying the dishwasher, <laughs> putting the plates in the right place. Uh, and, and all of a sudden, she's laughing hysterically. And I thought, man, I don't get this. I don't understand. I said, what are you laughing at? She said, you're in there trying to figure out how to fix this, aren't you? <laughs> yep. <laughs> yep. I was trying to figure out how to solve her problem. And she caught that. She knew it. But she said, you know what? I said, yeah, but didn't I listen good? She said, yeah, you did. You listened good. We have to train each other. Men will always be men, and they'll always operate at a male frequency. Women will always be women. We can learn how each other thinks, but we will never become each other. We will default to our way we were made. But that's a good thing because they fit together if we work on it. So the first law of covenant is the two shall become one. The second law is this. We were made to be one. Amen.